I'm going to keep moving down last week's vein on the meaning of the voice, the meaning of the language, the meaning of the sound, and it's part of this whole overall thing about Focus 2020 and having a clear vision. When I was raised in a, in a Southern expression, we always stood up for the reading of the Word. And uh, listen, we, we weren't Catholic or Lutheran, we were just good old Southern people, and we loved to hear the Word read. Would you stand with me this morning? As we hear the word of God. A reading from the book of Daniel. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language or the tongue of the literature of the Chaldeans, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Philippians 3.12 through 16 from the message. It says, I am not saying that I have this all together, that I have made it. But I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I am often running and I am not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be God. to God. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John 16, 12 through 15 message. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't handle them now. But when the friend comes, the spirit of truth he will take you by the hand and guide you into all the truth there is. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Would you grab somebody's hands? Lord, we come to you this morning with open hearts, open minds. We come to hear what you have to say to us. I pray this morning that you say to us what you couldn't say. That you say to us things that we've never heard. That, Lord, you continue to open our minds and our hearts to more of you. We're focused. We're paying attention. We want everything that you have for us. Now help the person on my left and my right. May we get it all at the same time. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Man, I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. I, I, I actually believe... Uh, that one of the most important things that I have had to say in my life is that God wants to restore. God wants to bring back to us anything that has ever been ours and make it better than it's ever been before. And if you're a Hebrew and you say restore, you know that God's not going to just give you back what you had, but going to bring more back. Uh, and that thing I was talking about a while ago about Jubilee, every 49 years, had a year of Jubilee, and during the period of famine in there, if you didn't have enough money, you, you, would, 
you would sell things off and you'd sell land off and you'd sell your children into slavery and, and that's how you... But then every 49 years, you got it all back. And not only did you get back what you had, but you always got more back. It, it was the restorative reality of God. And I love restoration. I have this 1968 Cadillac uh, convertible that my dad bought. And uh, I was reading the other day that when Daddy bought it, I found the papers. It was worth $5,520, $30 or something. New, brand new. But do you know what that thing's worth today? It's worth about $35,000 today. It's worth more today than it was when Daddy bought it. Do you know that today you're worth more than you... Do you understand that it's not about just you being worth what it was then, but you're worth more now than you were Look at your spouse and say, if I was to marry you today, it'd cost me more money. (laughs) Listen, I'm telling you, when I married that girl, I went to Emporia, Kansas and went to Zales Jewelry and I bought that ring for her. It was all I could do. It was the best I could do. But did you know a few years ago, I had to go buy her a bigger ring? Because she's worth more today. When we talk about restoration, God's going to restore. And and when he restores, he's going to give you more than... Touch your neighbor and say, there's more than this. I love restoring things. I mean, anybody can live in a track home. Anybody live in a track home, but in a Victorian home. In one of those custom-made jobs. You know, one of those things that you, you can see that it took an architect to design it. That when the architect created it and designed it, you could, you could see something behind it. There, there, it was obvious that, that somebody with creativity was involved in, in that thing. Craftsmanship. I think when I look around the world and I see the sun come up and go down and I, I walked up to the building this morning and I could hear the birds already singing, which I think means spring is on the way. I, I, those of you that love winter, you'll get healed. Uh, and, and so when I look at creation, it's obvious to me that there was a divine mind behind creation. It's obvious to me. When I, when I look at my grandchildren, it's obvious that there's a divine mind behind all of that. That science didn't, they didn't do an experiment, have a big explosion and life start. No, so there was a design mind being behind it. So that in the beginning, in the beginning, do you remember that? In the beginning, the earth was void and without form. But God created the heavens and the earth. And in that verse, it says, and the spirit of God hovered. The word there is moved, say moved. That the Spirit of God moved over something. That, that, that is an interesting word in the Hebrew when you pull it apart. Because if you move, it, it, if you move, stand up, Annie. If, if you move, so she's here, right? And I tell her to move over there. She did where? Where is she? She's over there. Come back. <laughs> Wish I had twins in here. But, but, but when God moves... When he moves and he moves over there, he's still there. That God's omnipresent, that when he moves, he doesn't leave anywhere. That this space is not vacant of him, but that he expands. And so when God moves, he he doesn't leave heaven, he moves heaven to here. So thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when God creates, Pete, he, he moves into something. So he moves out of the invisible into the visible. He moves out of the untouchable into the touchable. The spirit becomes flesh. Word becomes flesh. And God takes territory. 
Because God's here and there all at the same time. And so creation is the result of God expanding and moving into a substance that he had never been in before. But it doesn't leave there. So that when you see God there, he's there too. And when you see God there, he's there too. He's everywhere. At the same time, he expands. That is, And the word created, the word move, is the root word of the word barak, which means to bless. In other words, when God creates, it's blessing. And when he blesses, he creates. Why? Because when you lay hands and Abraham touches him, takes what he is and puts it in there, that's creation. When God takes who he is and he puts it into you, that's creation. That's blessing. That's honor. You've got the inheritance. You get the ring. You're the son now, but you can act like the king. God creates. God moves. How many want God to move? I want God to move into my territory. I want God to move into my world. I want God to move into my problem. I want God to move into... I like it when God moves. I like it when, when he moves in such a way nobody else can move. I, I love it when, when God responds and comes into and, and he, he makes all of that known. And he, I just I love it. And, and he created me. And you, and we're like him. And, and so that now that we have a voice and a will, when we speak and when we bless and we create, we're, we're part of him and he's part of us. And we have the ability to create and to bless and to move the territory, to expand the kingdom. We're not human beings first. We, we're spiritual beings. And now we, we live in two places. People think I'm nuts. You hear from God. You have dreams and visions. yes. That's because I'm a human being. Not because I'm charismatic. I'm a human being. And human beings are people that are spiritually empowered by God to, to be connected to two worlds at the same time. That, that it, it's unnormal not to hear God's voice. It's unnormal not to be meeting a man here and there, as Paul says. It, it's normal to be connected to the heavens and be here and here and be there. It's normal. To be spiritual. It's normal. In fact, if you're, if you're not experiencing that, there's more for you. And that's not Baptist versus charismatic. That's Christian. Christians are people into whom God has moved and he lives and moves. And we're the temple of God. And heaven is in here. And heaven's up there. And we're in contact and communication with this God that creates and expands his kingdom. This is not a theory about going to heaven. This is about living in heaven. Hearing his voice. Facing the world, but knowing we're not alone. So many times, the church, particularly the church in America, the West, Europe, has settled for I'm saved. And after 70, 80, whatever years, I'm going to die and I'm going to go to heaven. And, and, and we've settled for that. Or we've settled that we're spirit-filled and we talk in tongues and we have a few surprises every once in a while. And at least we're a little better than the Baptist and... And, and we settled. You know, we got the, you know, you've heard about 30, 60, and 100 fold. We got the 30 fold, right? We're on our way to heaven. Or we got the 60 fold and we have a few things. But we've settled. Because there's more than that. There has to be more than that. There has to be more than preaching about moral, ethical, and behavioral issues. I, I got to tell you, a lot of the body of Christ are just stuck trying to live right. Because if I could live right and please everybody and perform for everybody, then maybe I can go to... So, but we're stuck, right? Most of the pulpits today in America are talking about the behavior of people sitting in the pew and telling you, you're not, don't do that. 
Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And the 60% of them are saying, oh, you need to do what I do. I got the spirit of God in me. Shandai, ride a Honda, yada, 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 Yamaha. Some of you get that. Some of you go, he talking in tongues. Yeah, I'll pedal that bike. <laughs> 30, 60, but we're not there in that hundredfold stuff. There's got to be more. The gospel read this morning. I have a whole lot more to say to you, but you can't handle it. You cannot handle it. There's so many people that can't handle it. They're stuck over here and talking about people's behavior or talking about this individual gifts that they have. I have, I got so much, but when the friend, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he'll take what is mine. He'll he'll give you more than you've ever known. I want that more. I want the conversation to continue. I want to live in the ongoing conversation with God. I I want to hear him speaking today because I know when he speaks, it's fulfilled in my hearing. I, I want to live in that more than. And last week I came to that verse, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 10 and 11, where uh, it says there's many kinds of languages. But if you don't know the meaning of the language, you don't know the meaning of the sound, you don't know the meaning of the voice, I'll be a stranger to you and you'll be a stranger to me. There's something behind the voice. There's an intent, a force, an energy. Sixth graders argue over, you said, I said. You said, no, you didn't. You said this. And they're arguing now over what each other said. Maybe you've had that happen in your marriage. Yeah, but you said. Well, I didn't say it. Well, I didn't say that. The question isn't about what you said. Or he said, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Some people get stuck overing over what the other one said, and they miss the meaning. You know what they meant by that? They meant, you know what they meant by that. You're, you don't want to know what they meant by that, so you get caught up in an argument over the literalization of the word. That's what Christians do. They argue over the literalization of the word, and they never get the meaning behind it. See, if you don't get the meaning behind it, you'll miss the point. You'll be robbed of it. You'll remain strange to it. There, there are implications to the heart behind it. So that when the power of the Holy Spirit comes in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, it fills the 120 that are in the other room. Everybody hears the gospel in their own voice. Suddenly, everybody can hear. And now they hear the same message in their own language. And they all knew they were hearing the same message. Did you know that if you go into one of the 87 churches that are in this community, sometimes I walk out of them and go, is that the same thing? Do you know today there's 30,000 denominations in the world? There's so much division in the body of Christ today that you really can't figure out if that's the same Jesus over there and the same Jesus over there and the same Jesus over there and the church is divided. And you can't figure out because they got their little pet thing and they got their little pet thing and they got their little pet thing and we got to sell our cup and you sell your cup and here's my sticker and here's your sticker and this is my icon, this is your icon and we're divided. You know that house divided will not... Do you understand that he wanted to keep the people from building that thing to the sky all he had to do was confuse their language? Do you know that Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes, he puts the languages back together? And the church, we're supposed to be saying the same things. You're supposed to be able to walk in a Catholic church, Protestant church, Baptist church, Charismatic church, Episcopal church, and hear the fact that Jesus is Lord and that he loves you. It's not supposed to be so confusing that people stop me in the parking lot at Billy Jen and go, I can't figure it out. Listen, if I hadn't been raised Christian, I wouldn't come. If I had not been raised Christian and didn't know what I know today, I wouldn't come. 
Because I go over there, and this is what it is. I go over there, and this is what it is. I go over there, and this is what it is. Listen, the division that's going on in our country today has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with that we can't get our faith together. Because as goes the church, so goes the world. The church has got to be one. They've got to stop this nonsense. And they've got to understand that their message is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. All you've got to do is believe that Jesus gave his life for you. That's it. Period. End of discussion. That's it. The rest of it is method. The rest of it is preference. Are you getting any of this? What meaneth the voice? What's the heart behind the voice? What's hidden underneath that thing? I can hear God walking. I didn't need to hear him say a word. I don't need... Listen, I can remember the day that I, I sleep on that couch and I woke up and I heard my dad's voice and I had ran away from home. I didn't have to hear what he was saying. I knew that when I heard that voice, he was there. I knew it. Have you ever looked into to somebody's face and they never said a word, but you knew what they were thinking? Because they went... Come on. When a nine-year-old girl goes... You know what she's thinking. She's thinking, Papa, stupid. She, <laughs> oh, come on. She didn't say a word. I said, ah, she, I didn't say nothing. You, you know what starts more fights in marriages? Facial expressions. Facial expressions. Right? I mean, my dog cannot talk to me. But Shaggy looks out from under that hair and goes, I know what she's thinking. I love you. <laughs> Come on. The meaning behind something. Not your interpretation. I could give two flips to a dollar about how you interpret it. I don't need your interpretation. I don't need your commentaries. Why? Because I know that, I know that God is the way maker. He is the miracle worker. He is the promise keeper. He is the light and the darkness. He is the one that loves me regardless of what I do and don't do. I know who he is, and because I know who he is, I know what he means, even though you've messed it all up with your denominational interpretation, hermeneutical, educational crap. I don't care what your experience is, because I know him. I've moved past this 30% and this 60%. I haven't yet attained, Paul says, but I'm reaching forward to something that is beyond the veil. I'm reaching into that intimacy and that relationship that brings me home into his presence. And let me tell you, the reason we're working so hard to talk to you about moving out of trauma to trust is that many times we get stuck in the stuff that happens to us. We get stuck in the trauma and the pains and the woundedness and the disappointments and we get stuck in it and it hurts and we get stuck in it, and we don't know how to trust to keep on moving, but there is more. So how might we begin to listen to people around us and try to help them get unstuck in the 30 or the 60 and trust again and get just a little... Because wounds hurt us, don't they? We get hurt. And if we get hurt, we miss the 100% of this thing. And I don't, I don't want you to get stuck in just knowing you're going to heaven. I don't want you to get, just get stuck in speaking in tongues or prophet. I want you to move. I want you to move out of the outer court. Come on, anybody here with me read your Bible? Moses built this tabernacle. It had an outer court. 
It had an inner court and it had the Holy of Holies. You remember this? And he sat in here on the Ark of the Covenant and that's where his glory is. Listen, somebody, some people have been dancing out here around the... They've been dancing out. Great, wonderful. Keep moving. And they got in here around the table and the showbread and the incense. That's great, but there's still a curtain. What's behind? Curtain number. I want to know. I want there. I want to be there, right there. I don't want to know about his presence behind that curtain. And, and if you read the Bible, it says that when Christ died, that curtain ripped from the top to the bottom. That God opened the door, made a way that you don't have to stay out here in the 30 or the 60, but you can move right in. This isn't about denomination. This is about his longing for you. His hunger and desire to be where you're at. Oh, well. Uh, there, there's more. Just touch your name. So there's more. I love what Paul says at Corinthians. He goes, I want to talk to you about spiritual things, but you're still carnal. I want to talk to you about spiritual things, but you're still carnal. He said, I've been feeding you milk. I've been feeding you a bottle. Listen, Lucas was holding channel the other day, and there was this sound that everybody knows what that's. Well, if you're anybody, you know. I knew what that sound meant. I left the office. Not my kid. Had enough of that. I knew that sound. And he comes in later and says, I apologize. He said, we moved her from milk to more solid food, to cereal. I thought, man, when you move from just milk to more solid food, you have to digest it differently. You have to appropriate it differently. And your body will begin to respond differently. And some of you don't like it, so you go back to milk. It's a good metaphor. And... And, and, and Paul said, I want to talk to you about spiritual things, but you're still carnal. There are many divisions among you. And that ought, ought to be so. In other words, we need, to, we need to hear what that means and allow those divisions to be resolved on the inside of us. There needs to be, listen, my, my mind and my heart need to be one. My consciousness and my unconsciousness need to stay the same. And I, when I look around the church, and I'm talking about worldwide, there's so much separating us. And there's that great story over in Daniel that I tried to talk to you last week about how Nebuchadnezzar goes into Israel and he takes the children, takes young people, takes the best, the good looking, it says. If you weren't good looking, we killed you. But if you're good looking, we won't kill Jimmy today because he's good looking, but some of you have no idea. Jimmy Garoppolo, the quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. We won't kill him today. We'll just take him hostage. Never mind. And they come in and they take the best. They take the good looking, the smart, the intelligent. And Daniel chapter 3 that we've read to you now two weeks in a row says, we taught people that we could teach our language to. We want to, we want to change your language. See, in order to prison people, you don't have to put them behind bars. All you got to do is make them forget who they are. All you got to do is try to give them another identity. So, so what you do is you, you t change their name to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's one of my pet peeves every time I hear somebody talk about the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No, their name was Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
Their name was connected to their God. I mean, my name is Moore. Take me anywhere you want to take me. My last name is Moore. I come from that lineage. My mama's name was Hargraves. If, if we were doing it correct, we would go Hargraves Moore. I, I'm the product of a, of a covenant between a man and a woman, a Hargrave and a Moore. Now that's who I am. You can take, put me in Africa. I'm still going to be a Moore. And listen to me. Every time we sat down at grandma's table, either one of them, They'd tell me what it was to be a Moor. We came from here. We sprang from there. We go to this church. This is what we believe. We don't believe that. I'm just going to leave it up to my kids to decide what they believe. Well, you're stupid. Did you get it? Well, I'm not going to make my kids go to church. Well, you're stupid. You're just stupid. Because listen, those are my kids. They don't get to decide whether or not they're a Moor. I made that decision for them before they ever got there. Those boys were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted to change their name. And they said, thank you very much. Call me whatever you want to. But down in here, I know who I am. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to change the meal. Make them eat these delicacies and not that meal. Why? Because at the Passover meal, at Shabbat, every Friday night, you sat down as a Jewish child and the father told you the story. We were in bondage in Egypt, but God sent Moses and delivered us out of the hands of Pharaoh. And we're the people of God. And now we're living in the promised land. That's who we are. But if we can change it from grandma's pecan pie... To McDonald's, I love it when some of you walk up and me go, well, we eating out this Thanksgiving. Well, you're silly. <laughs> Number one, they shouldn't have any food things open on Thanksgiving. Amen. You ought to make your own food and tell your own story. You ought to sit down with your kids and say, we made this pecan pie when I was a boy. And my grandma made that pecan pie. And we was raised in Lindsay, Oklahoma. And Brother Roberts would come over every once in a while and sit at that table. And we talked about God this way. Some of you have given up on rituals in your house and can't figure out why your kids don't know who they are. I got some rituals in my house. I got some celebrations in my house. I got some altars in my house. And I demarked those. And listen, my dad died when my oldest son was five. But can I tell you, they know who he is. Why? Because I keep the story going. All you got to do is take the table out of the church and you stop telling the story that God started telling in the upper room. All you got to do is take that table out. And now you got people feeding you any old thing they made up from last Tuesday because they had a taco. I didn't bring that table back in here because I'm Roman Catholic. I brought it back in here because it's his table. Because around that table, he tells his story. Christ came. Christ died. Christ rose again. He's coming again. That's our table. That's our story. So when we get done this morning, I'm going to go back to that table. And I'm going to tell you that story again. Make sure you got that story. I'm going to do it every week. I say, you, you, it'll get boring. That's how my kids think about me every time I start talking about my dad. We've heard that before. But did you know that repetition is the mother and father of all learning? It's how people get that story. Well, you take them in there, you, t you give them different names, you change the meal, and then you teach them another language. And if they can't talk that language, you know how many people are trying to defend to me why they use the vernacular they use that the world uses? You know how many people keep coming to me and trying to justify, well, it's just a verb. Yeah, you're stupid. You're now speaking the way the world speaks. You're now talking the way the world talks. And you've lowered you yourself from the people of God to the people of Babylon. That's silly. That's silly. It'll keep degenerating over a point to where people will forget who they are. 
Listen to me, church. We need to take back our identity. We need to recover the meaning of the meal. We need to recover our name and our identity. And we need to recover our language. We need to understand that we talk a certain way. We celebrate certain things. We pass on certain stories to one another. We move out of this 30, out of this 60, into the full presence of God. And the reason why we were saved, the reason why we were spirit-filled, is not so that God could get in us, but that we could get in Him and live in His kingdom. And when we live in His kingdom, we carry that kingdom. And when we move, that kingdom goes with us. And now we are carriers of the kingdom of God. And we go out into the world, not to be relevant to the world, not, not to be like them that they would like us, but to invite them into a different life, into a full life, into this glorious reality that God's chosen us. And that we don't have to be limited by the things that limit. This isn't a charismatic message. This isn't about talking in tongues. This isn't even about salvation. This is about being hungry for more of him. This is about staying focused on the goal, the prize of the high calling, and stepping over in and living in his face, living in his presence, and knowing that as I do that, I'm changed. He alters me. I'm not stuck. I don't settle, but I'm always reaching for more of him. Am I, am I here all this morning? Can you, listen, how many of you know there's more? There's just There's just more. There's more than meets the eye. The Apostle John will write in 1 John chapter 2, he'll talk about, I write to you children because. I write to you young men because. I write to you who are fathers because. Each one of those are levels of relationship. Children, you're just trying to control their behavior. When they're a child, you're just trying to get them to behave, right? That's that. But, but, but when you're a son, there's something in them, right? I speak to you, you young men, because you're strong. How many of you know that when God fills us with his spirit, we're, we're stronger, right? But fathers, I, I want you to live in a relationship with God that is a fathering relationship, a mentoring relationship, a full presence relationship. I, I don't want to just be in you. I want you to be in me. I want us to be in, I want to live in his presence, in his kingdom, in his face, in his. I need more. That means I got to, anybody here? See, there's levels of this thing that you have to be intentionally aware of. Worship really is the prerequisite of his presence. Worship, corporate worship, is not designed to have the song you want. Corporate worship isn't designed so that you... No, no, no. Corporate worship is so that we come together as the family of God. That son, that son, that daughter, that daughter. And we come back around. And we lift up the name of Jesus. And when we do, Daddy starts talking. And he starts moving. And, well, I can do that at home. I'm not there. Well, I can do that in my closet. I'm not there. And you can't claim to have him as your father and deny me as your brother. Yes, you ought to meet in your closet. Yes, you ought to do your thing. Yes, 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 yes. But it is not a substitute for Thanksgiving dinner. It's not a substitute for the Sabbath. This is the Sabbath. There is a day set apart in the book, in the Bible, in the history for us all to come together. Forsake not your assembly. Forsake not as you see the time approaching. But come together. Not so that you feel good 
But that, so as we lift up his name in worship, heaven where he is and where we are, and all of a sudden God moves from here to there, but he's still there and he inhabits. And can I tell you, where he is, disease has to start dying. Where he is, depression has to start going down. Where he is, relationships have to start healing. What if we declared this was a sacred space? What if we declared that every seven days we were going to come back in here and we had one goal, wasn't to pray for Mahomes? <laughs> Contrary to what the idiot said a while ago. That was me, this is him. <laughs> I mean, if Paul can go, this is me and that's God, then I can go, well, that was Quentin, this is God. This is God. The purpose we come together is to lift up him. And as we lift up his name, as we do that, the veil gets thin. And I may not see what he's doing. You sang it. I may not see what he's doing. I may not feel what he's doing. But he's doing stuff. He, hey, 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 hey. You may never have been diagnosed with cancer, but God might be destroying those precancerous cells that you're sitting in. You, you, you may never get fired, but he may fix that place you work and you didn't even know it was having financial troubles thinking of laying you off. Yeah. He, he might do stuff that you don't even know he did, so maybe you ought to start thanking him, not because you know what he did, but stuff that he's doing that you may never know he was doing because he didn't have to tell you he was doing it. As long as you're making space for him, he's doing stuff invisibly that you don't... Some of you want to praise God because you know what he did. I'm praising God that he did stuff that I didn't even know was out there getting me. Because if I had known it was out there getting me, I think I'd have wet my pants. If you really did see all that was against you, you'd probably go, I would. You'd have to be praying for me. If I had known what I'd had to face 35 years ago, I would never have taken this job. I'm serious. When we worship all of a sudden, and I mean from the first song to the last benediction, from the first to the last, from the beginning, listen, I never left grandma's house without the pecan pie. In fact, I got to tell you, I stayed and ate the last piece. And if there was a chocolate chip cookie, I carried it on the way out. Why would I want to miss Let's focus in. Oh, I want to move into another realm. I want God to move in me into another realm. I don't think we're done. He said, I got so much more to tell you. So much more. I got six minutes. The game doesn't start to win. It's okay. It's okay. Calm down. There's so much the church still dancing over the fact, over this brazen altar in this laver bowl that I'm saved. And we're dealing with 90% of the pulpits this morning are preaching about your behavior and how bad it is. Let me just say it, none of you is good. None of it's good enough to earn anything. Behavior. 60% of it, or some of it, maybe 5% is talking about this spiritual giftedness. This, and this is all about believing. If you've got enough faith... You can be healed. If you've got enough faith, you won't have a problem. If you've got enough faith, you can do mountains. If you've got enough faith, it's all, you've moved from behaving to, let me tell you how to believe. If you can believe, any believers in here? How many ever get tired of believing? Oh, don't say anything because it'll let everybody know. 
I get tired of believing sometimes. I have believed till I'm believed out. My believer is tired. In fact, I've been believing you from stuff you ain't never done. Now I'm just kind of put up with you. I don't think I'll go to church no more. I don't think I'll even pray no more. I don't even... You get that yet? And, and, and the church focuses on making believers out of people. I have read so many books, been to so many lectures, I'm tired. Or making people behave. Can I tell you that behind that veil, around that ark, in his presence, the number one thing that any human being needs today is to belong. I need to know I belong. I'm tired of trying to fit in. I'm not talking about fitting in to your churchiness. I'm talking about belonging because he loves me, not because I behave, not because I believe, but because he is who he says he is. That he came, he ripped the curtain, and I belong. All of my behavior, all of my unbelief has nothing to do with the fact that he ripped the veil, and I belong to him. I'm not trying to perform, to please, to prove, to make you think that I'm good enough. I just know in the raw sense of my heart, I came to myself in a pig pen and I could hear the father's voice saying, you better than that, son. You belong here, son. You hear me. The church in America has been preaching about behavior and about belief. You hear me. You belong. Every one of you belong because he loves you unconditionally because he gave his life for you. Some of you behaving badly. You ain't believing good enough. But can I tell you, it doesn't change who he is. You can come boldly in front of God. And I may be a small part. There are more of us than you think. I may be a small sliver of the theological people today, but I'm here to announce to you today, God's saying, come on in. You belong. You may not believe everything. You may have doubts. You may have addictions and you may have wars. You come on in here. You belong. You just keep coming in belonging. You just keep sitting in this worship. You just keep listening because I'm going to keep telling you you're forgiven. I'm going to keep telling you you're loved. I'm going to keep telling you, he's in you whether you know it or not. You may not feel it. It may not look like it. But honey, you just come on in here. In the Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. That when you come, you know the way. Listen, that's the message of the church. It's the only message I've ever had in my life. I just have to preach it 52 different ways. Every year. I keep thinking, can we have another message? Says, nope, that's the only one I got. Touch your neighbor and say, you belong there. If you're still longing for something, if you're still hungering for something, it's because people keep telling you this message. They keep telling you this message. The real message is, come unto me all ye that are weary laden, and I'll give you rest. Come on back in here. Come on back in the house. Come on back in the presence of God. Get back up around him. Yeah, but I'm trying. I don't care what you're trying to do. You get in here and in his face and in his glory, he'll change you. You don't have to worry about it. And some of you mamas of the church have been judging their change and you need to shut up and get saved. You need to move your judgmental behind from there to here too. Go ahead, let one of them drunks drag you in here. You get over your addiction to judgment and criticism. Because some of you, are, you're addicted to it. 
You can't feel good about yourself unless you put down somebody else. You're addicted to it. I am not. We can cast that out too. Are you listening to me? I got news for you. I've spent 35 years of my life saying you belong. Yeah, but what if? Don't care. I haven't got time to entertain that. You belong. What would happen if we really believed that? I wonder what happened if we just lived it. Well, I can tell you, 35 years later, people that nobody else wants shows up here. It's the strangest thing. I get phone calls. You don't even know this. I get phone calls, have for 33 years. Did you know who's coming to your church now? Well, honey, once I showed up, it didn't matter because I'm the chief of all sinners. Listen, listen, I get up almost every Sunday morning and think, Jesus, me? Do you know how bad I messed up yesterday? Me? I have something to say? You're going to use this donkey? If you're sitting in this room, you don't think you're worried. Me? I got news for you. If you, if you knew half of what I knew about me, you wouldn't like me. There's sometimes I argue with me. I don't like me. Some of you are going, I'm praying for pastor. Pastor, going through stuff. <laughs> Tell you with me, I belong. Look at your neighbor and say, you belong. We belong. We've got problems, but we here. Language. Language matters. I was reminded this week. I was reminded, I had a good friend came into the office this week and sat down in front of me and said, now, i got to talk to you, Pastor. A couple, three weeks ago, you made this statement. The minute he said it to me, I went, yeah, I remember that statement. I wasn't, I wasn't smart. I knew what I meant. But it ain't what I said. But thank God for friends that look beyond what you said and try to understand your heart. And as he walked out, I, I knelt down and started praying, Lord, forgive me for talking like that. Forgive me for not clarifying it. And I begin to understand the privilege it is to stand here and talk to you. So if I say something, hear me. It's probably because I'm, I got, you ought to see the pinball going off in my head. <laughs> and I'm trying to follow it. But you understand, you, 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 we all do it, right? We say things that we don't quite clarify and we don't quite mean. But you get the heart. Listen, you belong. I ain't got time to go through the theological process of that, but you belong. And our language should be, you belong. You've been named for Jesus. Come to this table. There's room for you. Let me tell you the story that's bigger than your story that grafts you in. Let me tell you that. Hmm. <laughs> Do you know when I married Annie, I went to Emporia and I got that little ring. A couple years I got her a bigger one because she's worth more. My Cadillac's worth more. You're worth more today. You're worth more. You get up this morning, go home this afternoon, look at the mirror and say, I'm worth more. I'm valued. You need to stop talking about yourself that you're valuable. You work on that self-conversation on the inside. I got to stop. I got to stop.
I got, I got three weeks worth of sermons. Jaminy, Jaminy, Jaminy. I got, I got so much here. Let me get over here to the last page and I'll, I'll finish. Do you, do you know, once you know you belong, the only thing left to do is go, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I got, I, I'm not down there trying to perform or prove or get, uh, I'm, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Whew. Wow. I belong. I don't look like I belong. But I, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know what worship is? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Just to be grateful for what maybe you and only you know. And him. It's a great story over here, and I'm going to read two verses, and then I'm going to get out of your way. In conclusion, one day with the Lord is like a thousand years. In conclusion, just a few moments, huh? And the Gileites seized the fords of the Jordan before the Ephraimites arrived. And when the Ephraimite who had escaped said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to him, are you an Ephraimite? And he said, no. Then they would say to him, then say Shibleth. And he would say Sibleth. For he could not pronounce it right. Then they would take him and kill him at the fords of the Jordan. And there fell at that time 42,000 Ephraimites. If you look at an Ephraimite... And you look at a Gladite, they look the same. You can't tell them apart. But an Ephraimite speaks with an accent, kind of like my grandmas did. Kind of like the church ladies with the hats did. They were faking it. But, but the Ephraimites had an accent. And so the Gileadites said, say Shibleth. They couldn't say Shibleth. They said Sibleth. Their accent gave away the fact that they didn't know the language. They didn't know the sound because they couldn't say it the same way. It takes me about three minutes to hear the shibboleth of a professed Christian because I ain't listening for your theology. I ain't listening for whether you like wine or grape juice or songs off the wall. I ain't listening for whether you're Lutheran or Baptist or Pentecostal. I'm listening for that accent. That accent of grace. That accent of love. That accent of hope. That accent of acceptance. That accent that God is. Because, honey, it don't take long and you can hear that accent. Then come on the TV. I'll have people ask me, did you listen to them? No. And they'll start telling me, well, did you hear this? this? No, I didn't hear that. Why didn't you listen to that? Because they got an accent that's not like dad's. They got an accent that's not the spirit. They may be educated and they may know some stuff, but honey, I ain't got time to put up with an accent. Can I tell you something? Unbelievers. They know that accent. They know behind that Jesus loves you is this. They got you figured out. That's why our evangelism doesn't work very well. It's because you walk into that business meeting and you start saying, I went to church and I did this and that. And they hear that accent. They see the face. They, it's that accent. That shibboleth. Man, I want them to hear your shibboleth. I hear some of you. You're not walking in this shibboleth yet. Work on that accent.
Work on that on the inside. Because listen, this community needs Jesus. They need to belong to something besides the bar across the street. They need to belong to something besides that stupid thing that they go to. Listen, all these social functions you're taking your kids to, I love all of you. I've got grandkids running out my ears. None of that matters. Not one thing. I don't care what you say because they're not going to learn the shibboleth there. They won't learn it there. And we may be able to take our shibboleth and take it to them. That might be worthy. But this place, every church in this town, ought to speak with the same accent. Ought to speak with the same accent. We ought to focus on that in 2020. We ought to pay attention to that accent. We ought to let it reveal what's in here. I want to move from there to there. Just I must belong. I must belong.